Welcome to the Velocity Podcast. A study in monology. This is your grumpy uncle Peter. He will say words at you. So most of the notes that I use to produce these podcasts, and they're not written out, they're not scripted per se. I have notes with points most of the time. Are written out in little notebooks. So there is a possibility that I get incredibly famous and die. Well, I'm going to die, but there is a possibility I get incredibly famous first. It's unlikely. I actually had my palm read, and it said when I was older, I would become famous. Uh, but I'm older now, and I'm not. So I, I really lost faith in palm reading. That and everything else she said was wrong too. So I'm not really optimistic on that front. But I die and the world proceeds. It's not like I die and the whole world ends. But, you know, that's also a possibility. This all could be in my head and when I die, you all die too. So just keep that in mind as well. You should make me happy. But let's say somehow my notebooks are preserved. They fall into a tar pit. Uh, That's probably going to be not the way to preserve them. They are put in a box carefully and that box is put into amber and it's found millions of years later. I realized the problem here is that I have very messy handwriting. My C's and L's and even a lot of my E's are not really easy to differentiate because I write, I tend to write in block letters. So if you found my notebooks and that became your new Rosetta Stone, you would think there are far fewer letters than they are and those fewer letters have more sounds. And because I'm just writing notes for myself and sometimes I'm writing really fast as the ideas come, I don't tend to concern myself with spelling very much. And after I talk about something, I tend to scratch it out. So most sentences are completed by having a line through the middle. So if you're an archaeologist, you might actually think that is a part of the grammar structure of the language of this document you found. So I'm a little worried that future archaeologists might actually find my notebooks and use them as a basis for how written language was done in the in the 2000s. But that brought me to another thing. I recently watched the movie Arrival. And there is an interesting thing in Arrival because the premise is that the aliens and the humans are learning to communicate with each other and they learn it through writing. So the aliens have this big circle style writing and it's done with this smoky, gassy stuff. And I realized just as I was watching the film is how do they know that these guys write neatly? Because the premise is that actually the only way we can understand this fully and completely would be to be able to break down the writing into something that we can comprehend. But if they were messy writers, those inherent mistakes on the part of the creator would be transferred to the interpreter in this case. And the problem there is that as they deal with more individual aliens who have more script styles, they would run into the similar problem as you would have if you used my notebook as a basis for your study for the English language. That's a plot hole 
that they didn't deal with. And of course not, because this is supposed to be a more advanced society, and they're using kind of a magic writing style, so I'm sure it's probably pretty good from the get-go. Uh, there's not going to be a lot of mistakes. They they are beyond what we are. They've evolved to a point where they don't have people like me making messy notes in a dirty notebook. But should someone make another movie where they actually end up interpreting alien language through text of some sort, and if it's any way written or any sort of written style language, that would be something interesting to explore that the alien you're trying to deal with has particularly poor handwriting. A couple of follow-ups to last week's episode. Not that you have to go back and listen to last week's episode to really understand what I'm talking about. Uh, last week, I answered a Quora question about Mystique. So the question is, is she naked? And I said, yes, she has to be naked to transform into other people because if she was wearing clothes, her transformative abilities wouldn't actually transform the clothes as well. Then I was laying in bed thinking about Mystique, like much like the guy who asked the question. But I wasn't thinking about whether or not she was naked or not. I was thinking suddenly how kind of gross she is. Because if you think she has her body and her body morphs into another person. Okay, so we can all accept that. That's not that gross. But because she has to morph the clothes onto her as well. So let's say she's morphed into a person who's wearing a flowy jacket. That flowy jacket is now this like weird skin flap thing. And if she has pants, her legs have now morphed into this loose skin that mimics the motion of pants. And I suddenly found her far, far less attractive than I had before, thinking about all the loose skin that she must use and move around her body because it kind of freaked me out. So if you are questioning whether or not you should think about Mystique as being attractive and or naked, I would just propose you take a moment and think about Mystique having tons and tons of body flaps. Also last week was a question about prayer. So someone was saying, if I pray to God for a specific girl, will he make it happen? And this brought up sort of a dichotomy about prayer to me, because you also have the alternate side. This is actually the football question of the girl praying to not be with the guy who's praying to be with her. So then God has to make a decision. And he has to decide whether to answer the prayers of the guy and make the girl fall in love with him, or answer the prayers of the girl and make it so that guy's never around her again. Now, the honest solution from a neutral party would be to just leave things as they are. So she stays who she is. He stays who he is. He is not attractive to her, so he will never get her. But he is still around her. She cannot get rid of him that easily. So that makes sense. And the reason I said it's the football question is because you do hear about people who win football games and they always thank God. And the question is, if both teams pray to win the game, how does God choose which one to answer? And actually, again, neutral party would say, I'm just not going to do anything. So the, the party that has worked harder and is more skilled is actually going to win the game. So if both parties are praying, then that neutralizes the effect of prayer. And you go back to having a skill-based system. So it would actually make sense to not thank God, but actually to just train harder than the other team. Quora question. As a lawyer, has a client ever had to take off their clothes to show you something relevant to the case? 
I did my classic reinterpretation of this question, and what I came to the conclusion is what he's really asking is, I'm a lawyer, or maybe I want to be a lawyer. Is there a legal way I can get clients to take off their clothes and show me their bodies and make it seem as though it's relevant to the case? There were a couple of answers, uh, but none of them were really as sexy as I'm betting the question asker was hoping for. Maybe they have like a lawyer courtroom fetish, and they were looking for penthouse letter style adventures to be sent in. Uh, I'm not a lawyer, so I have no idea if this is true, but it stuck out because the question is well disguised as a near legitimate question, when in fact it's quite obvious that this is just a creepy perv trying to figure out if there's a way to get people to take off their clothes and show them their bodies. A core question, I have an offer letter. My boss asked me to show him the letter. And he said that if I showed it to him, he would give me the same package. There's a couple of things happening in this question. Uh, it could be very legitimate. You've been made an offer by another company. Your boss says, let me see, and I will match that offer. The question is, if you are valued to your boss so much that he wants to keep you, why would he offer you the same package when he could offer you something slightly better? So the question is, how do you capitalize on that? Because this is business. There is the question of whether your boss is acting in good faith, because my feeling is that no, he isn't. I don't think anyone in a similar situation to this would actually be working in good faith. You have to be very suspicious of your employers because your employer's primary purpose in most things is to exploit you in some way to try to get more value out of you than they pay you. Now, I don't look down on that because that's just capitalism and how these things function. But you have to know that that's happening and be aware of it. It doesn't matter how nice your boss is. Your boss's job is to exploit you. And if they can underpay you, they will do that. So your boss is looking for information that you have, and he wants you to just give it to him for nothing. And again, that's not how business works. So you could give him that, and he would offer you the same package. But there is no real benefit there. Maybe that package is better than one you have now, and he's looking to spend the minimum on you. So knowing that, what you should do is make your own letter, make an original letter, and improve the package you've been offered by the other company, and see if he'll match that new offer. Now, the problem is, if you go too far, he isn't going to want you around. He's actually looking for what he should be paying people. He's looking for what companies are trying to hire out of his company, headhunting his employees. He is not being completely honest with you. I assume because 99% of the bosses out there would not be honest with you in this situation. I think most of us have worked for people and most of us have had negative experiences with bosses because again, their job is to essentially exploit you for their benefit. So yes, I think you take that letter, you scan it as best you can, or you retype it, and you try to get some official looking letterhead, and you just change the numbers of the package you're being offered. And you give it to him and see what he does. Now, it's very possible that he will find out that you lied and cheated to him, but he is currently trying to lie and cheat you. This is fair play. But the simple fact is, he has information he wants from you, and he's trying to find a way to pay you the minimum to keep you there. The ace you have is that you have a job offer from another company. If your boss makes you an offer and you accept that and you stay there, that shows that he's going to try to pay you the minimum from now on into the future. 
He is not going to look for opportunities to raise you up in the company because that's not how he thinks about things. There is a secondary thing you could try, and this is negotiation. You say, I'm not going to show you the package that I've been offered by the other company. You come up with your counteroffer and I will take the better one. What you're essentially trying to do is incite a bidding war. I've never thought that bidding wars are a great way to do things, but it is fair to give them an opportunity to make you an offer. Because whenever, when you do interviews and stuff, when companies ask like, what is the pay that you're looking for? What are you willing to accept and stuff? They're looking for a minimum number, not a reasonable or maximum number. So that's something to keep in mind. The fact that you have an offer from another company though shows that you can leave the company you're currently at and find another job. So trying to exploit the company you're working at right now is not as dangerous a situation as it would be for someone who lacked an offer from another company. So I recently watched the 2013 Tour de Force, Force of Execution, starring Steven Seagal. I, this isn't going to be a movie review so much as I have just always been fascinated with Steven Seagal's career. He is an action star, but not. He never really was. He was never, as a fan of action movies and fighting and all this kind of stuff, he never really connected with me. And now he makes about four or five movies a year. He produces them, he funds them. So he picks up the producer paycheck and the star paycheck, even though in most of the movies he's in now, he's actually only in it for a few minutes. I've seen this trick before. There's a series called God of Gamblers and it was uh, starring Chow Yun-Fat for a little while, the two, three movies. And then they got into like fifth, sixth, seventh movie and they put Chow Yun-Fat's face on the cover and in the movie... Chow Yun-Fat got out of a car and waved to the actual main character of the film. Uh, the irony there is him getting out of the car was actually cut from a different movie. So they didn't even film him for this film and yet put his name at the top of that movie. I've seen the same thing with uh, Jackie Chan. And this is if you're a fan of these type of movies, you're like, oh, wow, here's a, here's a Steven Seagal movie I've never seen before. Turns out he's only in it for two minutes, actually about some other character you don't know. Force of Execution is very similar to this. He is a secondary character, but he gets top billing. And it's because he paid for the film. Now, one of the interesting things about Steven Seagal is he's fat. He's gotten very fat. He's older. Uh, he's still a big dude, but he's obviously very conscious of the fact that he's fat because in every movie he's made recently, he seems to think if he puts on body armor, that will hide the fact that there's a huge amount of fat underneath there. He will wear long flowing coats. That's kind of a Steven Seagal signature move now. Um, all this is designed to cover his fat. He does often sit with his hands across his stomach, hiding his fat. The other famous people in it are Danny Trejo and Vic Rames. And the main actor, the guy with actual talent, is is an unknown as far as I'm concerned. I don't know who he is. Maybe he'll get famous later. He's actually quite good at fighting. The irony is they take away his hands after the first action sequence so he can't fight for a while, which sort of defeats the purpose of the film. It's an action movie. Steven Seagal's weird in this movie because he's supposed to be the bad guy. He's running a criminal empire. And yet somehow he's supposed to be the good guy as in he's honorable and he's trying to make things right again. And he seems to spend most of his time on screen delivering lines that someone thought would be cool. But as he mumbles his way through them, they're just not cool. There's a very out of place sequence 
where he's talking about guns. He's got a, a table. He's got about five or six pistols laid out before him. And he's got a, a cadre of men who are admiring him and his guns. And he's talking about, he's like, oh, this is one of my favorites. It's got this. And it just doesn't make sense as to what it's supposed to be doing. So it's just a weird fetishization of this guy as an expert with guns. But no one really cares. And like I said, he's mumbling and he's mumbling and he's mumbling. It's really hard to understand what he's saying. Because at one point he says, this one has a really good slide action. I've kept this one on me a long time. He barely enunciates anything. Here's that infinity I was telling you about. Amazing gun, long slide wide, buddy. Got almost 15 rounds in a 45. Can you imagine? Very accurate, spectacular pistol. This is that 50 I was telling you about. Guncraft, amazing. Flat, fast, no over penetration. Great distance, you know, great uh, velocity. Here's uh, one of my long slide Caspian 45s that I've carried a lot around. Beautiful gun. Series 70 Colt, 1938 National Match. It's one of the smallest uh, 45s ever made. It's one of my backups, one of my personal backups. Isn't that amazing? I mean, honestly, what did I just listen to? Why did I have to hear it? Why did someone get paid to write it? Why did someone pay Steven Seagal? Well, Steven Seagal paid himself to read it, so... That bit I understand. Everything else about the scene, completely nonsensical and pointless. Steven Seagal in this movie has a couple of fight scenes and his style of slap fighting is still not very impressive. It doesn't do much for me because none of the moves are hard enough to actually hurt someone and then maybe he'll flip them over. The original idea is that he's using Aikido and he'd be breaking bones and stuff, but he always just seems to be slapping people like a kid who wants to keep another kid away from him. I think the only benefit here is this style of fighting is probably the only thing he can do without getting winded because he clearly could get winded walking through a door. I'm not recommending you go watch Force of Execution unless you want to see some of the things he's done. But what we could do is you get your friends together and you have, make a Steven Seagal drinking game. Whenever he mumbles a line that you don't understand, you have to take a drink. Whenever he sits with his hands across his body to hide his fat, you take a drink. If he comes out in body armor to hide the fat, you take a drink. If he's wearing a long coat to hide his fat, you take a drink. If he's wearing the yellow shaded shooting sunglasses, you take a drink. If he's wearing sunglasses in a scene, you take a drink. Because apparently he's self-conscious about his eyes because he's wearing sunglasses most of the time, uh, probably because he's incredibly inexpressive. If Steven Seagal slaps a guy three or four times and that guy dies, you take a drink. But when the credits come up, Every time you see Steven Skull's name, so as executive producer, producer, director, writer, whatever, you take a drink. And I bet you actually die. As a side note, Vic Rames, who is also in the Mission Impossible movies, I realize there's a reason he's kept in the van in the, Vision, in the Mission Impossible movies. He's a big guy, but you do not want to see him fight. He gave one of the saddest front kicks I've ever seen in all of recorded movie history. You want to write out these points. Uh, if you want to come up with a formal drinking game, I will actually put more work into it. You can send a message to velocipodcast.gmail.com. And I have done this before. I've made drinking games. I type out the rules and I post them on my website, uh, velocipeter.com. If you're interested in that, drop me a line and I will make the Steven Seagal 
movie drinking game. The loss of podcast. The loss of podcast. Hey, sexy friend. He's making me his bitch. Thank you for listening. If you have questions or comments, you can tweet at VelociPeter or email VelociPodcast at gmail.com. You can find the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Acast or go to VelociPeter.com slash podcast. Would it just to be leave, would just, would be...